Hello and welcome to a special episode of Deep North. Yesterday, July 10th, the most recent volcanic eruption broke out on the Reykjanes Peninsula. We are going to be revisiting David Timmins' 2022 piece, Where There's Fire, read by Iceland Review editor Greta Sigrider Einarsdóttir. The eruptions on the Reykjanes Peninsula in 2021 and 2022 once again propelled Iceland's volcanoes into the global consciousness. The last time this happened was in 2010, when Eyjafjallajökull's ash cloud grounded an estimated 10 million air travelers. By contrast, the latest social media-friendly eruptions, a half-hour drive from the capital, attracted even more tourists to the island's already strained post-COVID hospitality industry. Although at any given time there's a 50-50 chance a volcanic eruption is ongoing in Iceland, the last time the Reykjanes Peninsula witnessed an active volcano was in the 12th century. The eruptions were part of a sustained period of volcanic activity that spanned more than 200 years, known to Icelanders as the Reykjavik fires. Could these latest eruptions herald a new era of volcanic activity on the peninsula, near the homes of over two-thirds of Iceland's population? The expert. In search of answers, I meet with scientists from the University of Iceland's Earth Sciences Institute and visit Veðurstofa Íslands, Iceland's math office, home to the Volcanic Hazards Department 10 minutes outside Reykjavík. Dr. Sara Barsotti is the coordinator of Volcanic Hazards and operational geophysical monitoring at the IMO. Volcanic hazards are manifold. The most common, of course, are lava flows, tephra fallout, and gas emissions. But in Iceland, we also have pyroclastic flows and jökulhlaup, which are glacial floods caused when ice encounters volcanic fluids. These are the most common volcanic hazards. We might have lightning, we might have landslides. There is a whole range of events that might occur before, during, and after an eruption. Sara arrived in Iceland in 2013, from the Italian Institute of Geophysics and Volcanology. The focus of her PhD research was forecasting volcanic ash dispersal in the atmosphere. The department she heads oversees the Danger of Eruption project. Set up following the disruption to aviation caused by Eyjafjallajökull in 2010, Gosvau is a collaborative research project that brings together the IMO's Volcanic Hazards Department, the Institute of Earth Sciences at the University of Iceland, and civil protection authorities. Projects focus on specific hazards and form the basis for efforts to mitigate projected dangers. One project, for example, gathered data from soil sections to quantify the volume and distribution of tephra fallout from the eruption at Öravajökull, Iceland's highest peak, in 1326. The paper projected forward to calculate the impact this event would have on infrastructure if it happened again today. The signal and the noise. The IMO's monitoring room is the nerve center for a network of equipment spread across the country. Banks of monitors are watched 24-7 by rotating shifts of scientists on the lookout for anything unusual or slightly above the background noise. 
There are more than 30 active volcanoes in Iceland. Each is unique and behaves differently. Most eruptions are preceded by earthquake swarms, but that's not always the case. When Hekla erupted in 2000, it gave just 80 minutes warning. You need a hundred eyes, Sara tells me. Since I've been here, we have been jumping from Eyjafjallajökull to Askja to Grímsvöð to Reykjanes to Hekla to Katla. It's just continuous. Since speaking, we can add Grímsey Island of the north coast, which, at the time of writing, was experiencing an earthquake swarm. Iceland's location on the boundary of the diverging North American and Eurasian continental plates creates a continuous background level of seismic activity. This background itself fluctuates. There are seasonal trends. For example, an increase in seismicity in Katla is something we see in the summertime. As the ice melts, the geothermal system responds to this availability of water. As the water turns to steam, it expands, demanding more space, and the increasing pressure triggers seismicity. But, of course, an explosive eruption might also occur during the annual seasonal uptick inactivity. To tease out what is significant from the noise, scientists rely on accurate datasets of seismic, deformation and monitoring data. These records are researchers' key tool in predicting if a volcano is about to erupt. To measure is to know, Lord Kelvin. Professor Emeritus Paul Einarsson at the University of Iceland has played a key role in producing seismic measurements and datasets. There were four rather primitive seismographs in the country when I started out in the 1970s, Pat tells me. My first job was to expand that network. Together with colleagues at the university, Pat built and installed a network of about 50 seismographs. These large and heavy instruments recorded seismic activity onto paper rolls, which were collected by local non-scientists and posted back to the university every week. Over five decades, Professor Pottl has participated in several revolutions that have advanced our understanding of the Earth's processes. As an undergraduate, he assisted an American scientist who brought the first geodimeter to Iceland. The optical device, now obsolete, replaced the centuries-old method of measurement using tape measures and angles, enabling the accurate measurement of the Earth's crustal movements and determining that Iceland's plates diverge by about 19 millimeters annually. The seismicity arising from this spreading is now considered background noise. All these measurements started to fit together into a general theory, and that came about in the early 70s. Most of my fellow students at Columbia were working on the seismicity of different parts of Earth, and my part was Iceland. I was trying to fit Iceland into the puzzle. Exceptional Island The theory, now universally accepted, is the basis for understanding volcanoes and earthquakes. It proposes that the Earth's surface is composed of continental plates floating on the mantle. These plates have been pulling apart and colliding for billions of years. Their motion is driven by the slow convection of the upper mantle. The constant movement means that the plate's boundaries are dynamic. In subduction zones, such as the west coast of the US, where plates collide, one is forced beneath the other. Here we commonly find earthquake zones. 
Conversely, at spreading centers, the plates are pulled apart to create a gap in the crust. When enough magma squeezes through this gap to the surface, we get a volcano. This spreading generally happens on the sea floor, with Iceland sitting smack bang on the divergent boundary of the North American and Eurasian plates is an exception. Another feature marks Iceland out as a special case. For most of its length, the mid-Atlantic plate boundary takes a sort of zigzagging staircase-like path. As a rule, the horizontal east-west sections, that is, the flat parts of the staircase, are associated with earthquakes, and the vertical north-south sections with volcanoes. The southern half of Iceland's plate boundary, including the Reykjanes Peninsula, is, however, somewhere in between, at an awkward diagonal angle. Classified as an oblique transform fault, the boundary here is subject to greater hyperbolic forces capable of creating exceptionally deep faults in the crust. Most volcanoes are fed from magma chambers at shallower depths in the crust, but chemical analysis of the lava from the recent eruptions on Reykjanes has shown that these vents were tapping into magma 20 kilometers beneath the surface, where the mantle and crust meet. This affects the composition of lava and gases emitted by the eruption. Analysis by Dr. Olgeir Sigmarsson and his team at the University of Iceland detected a large volume of halogen gases like chlorine and fluoride, degassing from the lava following the eruption. These elements are released when salt is heated and suggest that the lava erupting on the peninsula may be ancient recycled seabed subducted beneath the crust perhaps billions of years ago. These gases bring all the nasty stuff to the surface, Olgeir tells me. Chemicals like arsenic, cadmium, thorium and other rare earth elements. This is most likely part of what happened during the scatter fires at Laki. Olgeir is referring to the Laki eruption of 1783, an enormous volcanic event that caused a famine on the island and darkened the skies of Europe, North Africa and parts of Asia, disrupting the global weather system. The new eruptions... Speaking specifically of Reykjanes, the 5.7 magnitude earthquake that occurred there on February 24, 2021 was a turning point. We looked at each other and knew there was going to be an eruption, Sara tells me. Based on the previous activity, we considered the most likely scenario was an effusive eruption, that is, lava flowing from a vent, as indeed happened. Though the Reykjanes Svartsengi system, it is worth saying, reaches the tip of the peninsula, where the fissure could open up under the sea. Eruptions in shallow water, known as Surtsean eruptions, last occurred in the Reykjanes Svartsengi system in 1216. In the days following the earthquake, this represented the worst case scenario. Our international airport is nearby. It would be just a matter of minutes for the ash cloud to get there, and Keplavik and Reykjavik would be downwind of an eruption at the tip of the peninsula. When lava at 1500 degrees Celsius meets seawater, the reaction is explosive. With a sufficient supply of lava, the steam, ash and gases produced can form a column of ash and gas to altitudes where it disrupts aviation and can cause tephra fallout. A similar reaction between water and lava was responsible for a disruption to air trouble caused by Eyjafjallajökull in 2010. In that case, the water source was a glacier melting like a waterfall into the erupting wind below. 
In the Reykjanes event, by the beginning of March, deformations in the hills and valleys around Tvaradalsfjall, captured by INSAR analysis, confirmed the imminent eruption would be on land. INSAR, or Interferometric Synthetic Aperture Radar, is a powerful tool used for tracking magma intrusions by measuring how the surface of the ground deforms during episodes of volcanic unrest. The images are created by satellites orbiting over 500 kilometers above Earth. An image is taken of the target area, and then at a later point in time, hours, days, or even months later, the satellite captures the same terrain from precisely the same distance and position. By calculating the phase difference between the two images, a deformation map, known as an interferogram, is produced. The image, a psychedelic tie-dye-like map, visualizes any changes in the topography between the two images. The areas with the most colored fringes correspond to the areas of terrain with the greatest movement. The images, accurate to a few millimeters, allow scientists to measure the inflation of potentially dangerous volcanoes, and can also track the movement of dike intrusions, magma injections, by measuring deformation in the terrain above. Before an eruption, rising magma creates a telltale butterfly pattern that indicates the likely location of an impending eruption. For more information, check out icelandvolcanoes.is, where you will find the latest updates and information, as well as the Kosvau reports. Volcanic fortune-telling The most recent eruptions on the peninsula were part of the Krisuvik volcanic system, one of six systems on the peninsula. Four of these have shown sign of unrest in recent years. The last eruptions on the peninsula recorded as the Reykjavik fires, occurred in the 12th century and belonged to a period of effusive volcanic activity that lasted over 200 years. The Krisuvik system stretches to the outskirts of Reykjavik, raising the billion-dollar question, are we entering a prolonged period of activity, and could the Reykjavik area itself witness renewed volcanic activity? When I put the question to Olgeir, he tells me I'll need to visit the oracle at Delphi. This is not engineering where you know the physical laws you're dealing with. Even forecasting weather is easy in comparison. We can't see the mantle. The only information we get is when the magma comes up. Of course we would like to be able to make predictions. The only thing we can do is base our thinking on what we know from history. In that sense, our prediction is based on what's happened before. Is that the best way to predict the future? Maybe. Maybe not. You wouldn't predict someone's behavior in their 40s based on how they acted at 20 years old. With some kinds of volcanoes, we can measure parameters that are indicative, and these we can predict quite well. For most, we cannot. I'm learning that every opinion that could in any way be construed as prediction comes with a caveat. Volcanoes are unpredictable, predictably so. Less needful of supernatural divination, the ability to forecast volcanic ash clouds will help authorities in Iceland and abroad mitigate the consequences of large-scale explosive eruptions. At the IMO, Sara shows me a live video feed of the Aska volcano. The screen is overlaid with a vertical and horizontal axis. There's no ash plume today, but there is a lonely cloud wandering across the screen.
by scrolling the horizontal line to the top of the cloud. A counter tells us the cloud is at an altitude of 2.6 kilometers. Knowing an ash plume's height enables the IMO simulation software to forecast the transport of the ash clouds in the atmosphere and calculate how much ash will fall in any given area. In addition to disrupting aviation, ash can be highly disruptive to modern infrastructure. The Gorsvau paper that modeled a repeat of the Öræfjajökull eruption of 1326 found that up to 115 kilometers of power lines would be at risk from a phenomenon known as flashover, where the conductivity of the fallen ash causes power cables to short-circuit. Transport would also be affected, with roads from Kirkjubæjarklöster, southeast Iceland, to Seyðisfjörður, east Iceland, having a 75 to 100% chance of receiving more than 3 mm of ash, at which point visibility drops to almost zero and roads become impassable. Preparation Nation As I talk with Sara, I am reminded of how, in every disaster movie I have ever seen, the volcanologists or scientists' warning are ignored. You're crazy! We can't close the beaches because some drunk kid saw a shark! I ask Sara if she relates to the archetype. No, no, no. I think most of the time we have a strong connection with stakeholders. Of course, any kind of mitigation action takes time. It's something that needs to be planned and worked out. And that's why we talk about long-term hazard assessment, because it is, in a way, the first step to improving preparedness for events that might happen in the future. Of course, we also plan how to react to different events, and we try to get more and more organized. The last caveat goes to Olgir. Iceland is a fishing nation, a hunting nation. We don't predict too much. We're not an agricultural nation. You don't plant your seeds in the spring and anticipate you will have a harvest in the fall. Here, you just go hunting. And if not today, then tomorrow. You have to face up to it. You have to get your bread. The eruptions on the peninsula led to a period of intense activity among Iceland's small community of earth scientists at the University of Iceland and at the IMO. Many were pulled from their own research projects into an all-hands-on-deck effort that has led to two papers being published in the prestigious scientific journal Nature, an extraordinary achievement that reflects an exhaustive collective effort. Among the scientists I met, I felt a palpable sense of urgency as I talked about their research. It may be because, as I heard over and over again, there is so much we don't know about volcanoes and the processes that power them. It is something of a paradox that the science studying the processes that gave birth to the Earth is itself such a young and exciting field with so much left to discover. The key paper proposing the notion of plate tectonics, the foundation of the Earth sciences, was not published until 1965. Sara, Pautl, Olgeir and their colleagues at IMO and the university are adding to an incomplete understanding that contributes to the real-world need for quick answers. Hopefully, the consequences of the next eruption can be mitigated. The one thing we can be certain will happen. Well, that is certainly a relevant note to end on. Um, and as we are talking, uh, as of yesterday, uh, that was Monday, July 10th, around uh, 4.40 p.m., uh, we had the 
next eruption in this story. Um, yeah, so just maybe you can uh, really quickly just sketch out the situation as it is right now, as we're recording on July 11th. Yes, uh, the eruption started uh, just before five years today, yeah, 440, like you mentioned. Um, started out with a bang. There was a long fissure of with several winds of, of exploding lava, which you could view from, and you still can view from, the webcam situated around the eruption site. It was a little bit frustrating because at first the only uh, visible footage from the webcam was just kind of like the side of the hill and you could see <laughs> a large amount of uh, smoke and steam from the other side. So you kind of knew that there was something happening. Um, and the name of this hill is Little Hrutur, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, and Fun it's name. It means like little ram. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of cute. <laughs> uh, in this kind of area between uh, Kalir, which is this uh, very prominent uh, kind of triangular-shaped uh, mountain. Like, imagine Vegas. what you think a volcano looked like, like a conical shape. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, uh, it slowed down a little bit. They closed the area yesterday because with such a large uh, volcanic eruption, you have more gases, and uh, it's the gases that are most dangerous because they are invisible but they gather in uh, lows around the eruption site and if you um, start to feel dizzy you should climb up a hill you yeah. know the next time you find yourself in the vicinity of a volcanic eruption <laughs> yeah it's worth uh, maybe just putting this up front um, right now uh, as we're recording the the authorities are asking people to stay away from the eruption site uh, there are some people that do need to be there obviously like geologists and first responders um, Hopefully, since the okay, uh, eruption has slowed down a bit, they will open access to it again soon. But uh, just be very careful. Just always follow, always check up on the latest recommendations to see if the if the area is dangerous when you're traveling. I mean, yeah. we're talking about red-hot lava here. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's also just worth mentioning... Um, yeah, about the gases. Uh, yes. You are in a cloud of toxic, noxious noxious gases. Um, and I really felt that last year. Yeah. Um, you know, I went to the Meridalir eruption just uh, like a day or two after it erupted. And, you know, like when I was at the site, it was fine. And, you know, I'm like you always are a little bit conscious of the wind and not just trying to be directly in a cloud. But, like, I really felt, uh, like, on the drive home, uh, going back, like, I mean, really just kind of sick. Yeah. Uh, like, I had just been... Exposed to toxic gases. Sitting in a cloud of poison <laughs> for a couple <laughs> yeah. of hours. Um, yeah. And, you know, I mean, like, there was nothing bad that happened, but it was really noticeable, and uh, it's just kind of worth putting that out there for everyone's information, that it can uh, really kind of hit you. Yeah, and, I mean, it's definitely not a fun fact. It's more of a grim fact, but... Uh, <laughs> While uh, volcanic eruptions for the past few centuries at least have not resulted in uh, deaths except for one, uh, that was due to uh, toxic gases. Mm. So, yeah, just like the danger is real. Actually, uh, the much more fatal natural disasters in Iceland are uh, landslides and avalanches, claiming um, dozens of lives in the 20th century. Yeah, and uh, we have, you know, had some pretty major quakes recently. Uh, the largest was a couple of days ago at magnitude 5.2, and, mm -hmm. you know, they can cause rock slides and stuff, so it's just something to look out for. Yeah, it's a, it's a uh, 
living country. It's uh, yes. Yeah, you need to just uh, be careful. They also think that the eruption or the earthquakes may have uh, shifted some uh, watering water holes for um, West Iceland. Yeah. Yeah. They, I think they sorted that out and think it's fine, but like it's just it, it affects the whole country. Yeah, I mean, there was also this news over the weekend of like this borehole on Reykjanes that was kind of uh, like like bubbling over with water and stuff. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, uh, like obviously uh, this is like affecting everything under the ground. And yeah. Water <laughs> supply and yeah. Well, so maybe enough of the caveats and the warnings and stuff. Uh, this is an amazing natural phenomenon. Uh, did you go to the eruption last year? I did not go to the one last year. I went to the one before that. And, you know, I mean, I get why people are trying to go there as soon as possible. It is pretty amazing. (laughs) (laughs) uh, uh, And the eruption, luckily, their past few eruptions we've had have all been just like these tourist-friendly eruptions. These past three ones, obviously a very short drive from the capital area as well. Very convenient. Uh, It's such a spectacle to see. I mean, it's so impressive. I was very lucky uh, last summer, and um, I had been visiting uh, Germany for a week, and uh, on the flight back, uh, the pilot kind of did this, like, courtesy uh, kind of turn, where, like, (laughs) as we were flying into Keplavik International, uh, the pilot kind of took this, like, longer route and kind of, like, dipped the plane such that, uh, like, 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 the one side of the plane could see the eruption, and it was quite impressive yeah. to see from from high up like that. Oh, I can believe that. And you know, I was I mean, hoping for that because I had to fly home last Friday, <laughs> uh, and they had been forecasting the eruption uh, since the earthquake started last week. Mm. So I was just like refreshing the news, hoping it had started by the time <laughs> I was flying home. But <laughs> I don't know it waited until a very respectable Monday to start. You know, something that's really impressive to me is how quickly these change. Uh, like I remember last year, uh, how quickly just from watching the webcam and then actually seeing it in person, it went from just this really shallow kind of 50 meter long rift on the side of a hill to just kind of building up and piling up like really into like this little mm. cone, yeah. something that looks a lot more like a volcano in our mind. And also just having seen some of the footage already uh, yesterday, last night, uh, just how quickly it grows. You oh, know? Yeah. I mean, like it kind of began as like a hundred meter long rift. And the last figure that I recall seeing is about 1500 meters. So over a kilometer now, and I'm sure uh, as we're talking, it's already larger. Um, yeah, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, it's, it's so hard to talk about this in any terms that make sense because I mean, it is, you know, Again, red hot glowing lava flowing from the earth, creating new land. And like that's just sort of kind of hard to wrap your mind around. Um, You know, for me, one of the most impressive things about having seen the eruption last year, you know, I think that we are sometimes a little bit desensitized to images because... Mm -hmm. You know, uh, the internet, social media, sure. we're just kind of flooded with images all the time. And, you know, I mean, like 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 more often than not, people like to touch up their images and stuff. And sure. we're not always totally sure if, like, the colors that we're seeing are, like, totally real. But when you're there and you see this glowing hot orange. Oh, it, that's one thing that's 
it's a for color sure, much that better you in person. Never see in nature. <gasps> it's amazing to see up close, and like the pictures do not do it justice. Yeah, it, like it really doesn't, and it, you really can't capture that color because. Well, yeah, I mean, like, it's just so vivid. It's just so bright. Yeah, because it's just heat. It's radiating heat as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And just the sound of it, just being there and just hearing the sort of low, like, rumble of the ground. It's, yeah, it's it's so impressive. You also just kind of see matter do stuff that it doesn't usually do. Yeah. Uh, by which I mean, uh, I remember kind of being on the hillside last year and looking down at this lake of lava and you know like like there are these vents that are erupting and it's kind of like halfway between a liquid and a solid <laughs> because you have like this lake of lava and then on top there's this kind of thin crust of the rock that's just beginning to cool yeah and so you have this thing that looks like rock but it's like waving like water and it just looks really yeah, and you can see it. I mean, you can see it in cool rock as well. Have you you've been to Hrindfossar, the waterfalls on the west yeah, coast? Yeah, yeah. yeah um, where uh, the water sort of flows out from underneath an old lava field. And up by that waterfall, you can see, like, they're called Hrindreipi, or like lava ropes. But it's mm. like, uh, it's yeah, like where, yeah. like, a con- uh, partly congealed crust of lava has sort of been, like, pushed together, just like... Just like a, any congealed skin on any liquid would yeah, yeah, sort yeah. of create these like ribbons. Yeah. 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 And also another thing, when you're standing by an eruption, uh, there's of co- like rock flowing through the air, and you could sometimes like cast like tiny bits of of uh, yeah. what is it? is it tough? No, what the, do you call it when it tephra? Tephra. Yeah. Yeah. Pro- te- yeah it could catch like tiny lumps of tephra just like landing on you. They've cooled by that point, so it's not dangerous, but it's, yeah. I believe, is it also pumice that falls from there? I, f- I, f- I, f- I feel like whenever <sighs> I I've read about scientific words Pompeii, messed up. I but always hear the word pumice and tephra. But yeah. <laughs> I think tephra is smaller than pumice. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't quote me on that. Um, no, but just like standing there, yeah, again, seeing ash and rocks fly through the air. Also... Also, the fresh rock <laughs> sort of feels, uh, it feels a little bit weird because, f- of course, tephra and pumice are uh, filled with air bubbles, so it's much lighter than a rock usually is. Mm. Sort of weird to touch it. And then also, um, if you go to the, uh, be careful not to walk on the cooled lava because even though it looks cool and the surface has hardened yes it is still uh liquid with heat below and it can like that crust can crack it was very and concerning won't last need to go year into the to yeah. have seen people just kind of walking over a lava field that you know days ago was glowing hot yeah like the, still it smoking. can crack it, you can yes. fall into literally the floor is lava but uh if you go up to the edge Careful not to walk on it again. If you go to the edge and just touch the freshly cooled lava, it's uh, so sharp. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, nothing has worn down the edges yet. Because <laughs> usually rock is at least kind of smooth. Something that was also kind of uh, very, I don't know, spooky uh, for me, like, like yeah. last year. Uh, like you'd see all this drone footage of uh, somebody kind of flying a drone over one of the fresh lava fields. And then all of a sudden there would just be like a hole that would open up and just go, you know, 50 meters into yeah. the lava mm-hmm. river, basically. Um, and then just kind of seeing the people walk on top of 
this very recently hot <laughs> lava and just kind of thinking about like these caverns and holes and tunnels oh God, that yeah. are just, you know, maybe centimeters below. Mm-hmm. Uh, bit spooky. Um, so besides the amazing nature of this uh, natural phenomenon, uh, there was a little bit of concern at the beginning when uh, we kind of didn't know which way the lava was going to flow mm-hmm. uh, because this eruption, it's yeah, so it's between Fagerdalsfjall, which is the site of the past two eruptions, and Mount Kaelir. So it's a little bit further north, and it's a little bit for, uh, it's a little bit closer to the main road uh, that goes uh, between yes. Reykjavik and Keplavik, Reykjanesbreit. Uh, and there was a little bit of concern initially that if the lava flowed north, I believe there's a lava field. And this uh, is the road that if you've ever been to Iceland, you've probably driven this road because it uh, leads to the international airport. Yes, exactly. And so it is kind of, I mean, quite literally the most important road in the country because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it connects uh, Reykjavik area to the international airport and therefore the world. Um, it is worth noting, though, that, I mean, even in a kind of worst case scenario, um, there are other roads <laughs> that can connect Reykjavik. Sure, and other uh, international Kepovic. airports if, yeah. if worse comes to worst. But uh, yeah, it's we, we'd like to keep this one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, they did, uh, did uh, have some efforts last year, if you remember, to sort of stop lava or control its flow. Yep. They weren't entirely successful. They tried to build these like sort of sort of like dams with like... Um, in a, uh, with some uh, large vehicles. Um, yeah, they had they all these uh, like like bulldozers and backhoes yeah. out at the site. Yeah, yeah but the uh, the lava just sort of flowed over them. Yeah. Um, yeah I believe last year the big concern was these kind of like underground cables uh, and if like the lava flow might damage them. Yeah, that's uh, they w- that's the sort of like that would be a nuisance. It wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Like, obviously, it would be worse to lose the road. Yes. They have uh, in the past, um, for example, most notably in the um, Westmanair eruption uh, 50 years ago. Uh, They're actually, what was last weekend, they were celebrating the end, the 50th anniversary of the end of the eruption. Um, they famously... Uh, sprayed seawater on flowing lava to cool it down in mm. order to save their harbor, which would otherwise have closed up. So there is precedent where they have managed to control the flow of lava. Yeah. Oh. Um, f- was it in the first eruption or the second one where they were, um, it was close to engulfing a summer house? Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that stopped before that happened, luckily. But, uh, for the owners. It's, I mean, it maybe sounds a little bit surreal, uh, but when you grow up here and when you live here, you sort of just like, you always uh, have in mind the prospect that there might be a large earthquake or uh, a volcanic eruption, especially when you live in these volcanically active areas. Mm. There's a lot of history there, obviously, that has been shaped by previous large volcanic events. Um, we did an article some years ago where we spoke to the people living uh, right by the Katla volcano, um, which famously has been like due to erupt because 
in historically it's erupted like at the roughly a span of 50 years or so mm-hmm. but now it hasn't since 1918 so People are kind of worried it might go off again soon. Yeah. That's also, as mentioned in the article, the problem with predicting uh, future cases of volcanic activity from the way they've behaved in the past. Like sometimes they just do something different. Yeah, it is striking how much is uncertain so often because, you know, you can make these best guesses based on patterns. Uh, but yeah, I mean, volcanoes have life cycles as well and they yeah. can change and they can very easily enter a new phase of activity. Mm-hmm. But in, you know, in living memory, um, most volcanic eruptions have been, you know, just uh, kind of a cool thing to go and see and not really a dangerous or that dangerous um, event. There was the Eyjafjallajökull good eruption, which famously in 2010 stopped uh, air traffic, which was, again, a nuisance, but it wasn't really... No lives were lost, th- mm. thankfully. Um, yeah, so... People in Iceland, at least, aren't they aren't afraid for their lives if a volcanic eruption will occur, <laughs> but... The you know it might complicate some things. Actually, the first uh, eruption that I sort of actually remember happening was in two thousand. I was ten years old at the time, and uh, it was during winter when Hekla erupted. So many people went to go see it, but there was a storm that night, and uh, the pass, the Thringsli Pass, was blocked. Mm. So um, a lot of people were stuck there overnight in their cars. And the reason I remember it so vividly is because we got the day off because my teacher went to go see it. It's <laughs> <laughs> very Icelandic. Yeah. Having, uh, having the school day off because your teacher is at a volcano. <laughs> yeah, we don't have snow days, but I suppose a volcano day makes more sense. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think on that note, uh, we can tell everyone to stay safe, but also uh, enjoy watching this amazing phenomenon yeah and if you're in iceland get, definitely go check it out if you're uh comfortable with the hike they will probably uh, sort out a hiking route to it uh, yeah, soon it, but it just remember to check all um if there are any warnings uh active or uh yeah and it's also worth noting that just as we're recording this there's not a hiking trail that's been established yet. Uh, there are the old trails out to the old sites, uh, but this one is a little bit less accessible, so it's going to be a little bit further away. So uh, anybody choosing to go see it, uh, be prepared for a long hike. And yes, just check up on the latest information about the route before you set off, before you even think of going check out the weather. Make sure um, you won't be there in the dark. Obviously, that's not a not an issue right now with the uh, summer nights, yep. but. Just be careful. Okay. Well, uh, thank you for coming in to talk today, Greta. Thank you. Deep North is the official podcast of Iceland Review, the oldest continuously running English language publication on Iceland, covering community, nature, and culture. If you enjoyed listening, please consider subscribing to Iceland Review at our website.